It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. You know, one of the most popular things on clark.com is our continually updated guide to the best cell phone plans for light users, medium users, and heavy users of cell phones, writing out for individuals, families, all the rest. That's because picking a service has always been so confusing for people. And it's been great in the United States that we've had four competitors for cell phone service, but we're not going to anymore. Barring any kind of last-minute hiccup, we're going to have T-Mobile that's absorbing Sprint, AT&T, and Verizon. So we're going from four to three, and the experience around the world has been that when you go from four cellular providers in a country to three, that the rates move up. But this deal, in my opinion, is going to be nothing but good stuff for you as a consumer. I want to tell you what's happening as a result of this. Okay, so number one, minutes and texts that used to be so important are not really important anymore. In fact, the ability for a wireless company to provide you with unlimited minutes, unlimited texts, they can do that without breaking a sweat. Cost them almost nothing to do so because of the changes in technology. So something that would have been a horrific event even five years ago, today is irrelevant having uh, T-Mobile absorb Sprint because there's also going to be a new fourth provider. And this gets really goofy, but follow this. The people who own Dish Network are going to have a new fourth provider that eventually is supposed to take the place of Sprint in the marketplace. And so we're going to go from a company that will just buy capacity from T-Mobile to one that will stand on its own two feet in a couple of years. But again, the stuff we think about with cellular carriers, home internet providers, cable companies, traditional phone companies, all those boundaries are becoming unimportant. So many of us now think about home internet as one thing, and then data on our cell phone is another thing. But because of changes in technology, they're all going to blend. So T-Mobile is going to be in a position to compete for home internet service and small business internet service and be able to do so with blanket coverage of the United States and high-speed internet competitive with what you get from the cable monopoly. That's the real upside to this. And then on top of that, something I shared with you recently, we've got these new satellite players that are going to be offering low-Earth orbit satellites with ultra-high-speed internet that will be able to offer internet much cheaper than what we see from the monopoly cable companies. I mean, the reality is, in countries that are competitive for home and small business internet, people's bills routinely 
or about five bucks a month for internet faster than we're used to. We pay in the United States some of the highest internet prices in the world because in the United States we have this one monopoly providing service in most places in the country. There's no competitor. But now wireless is going to be a competitor and we're going to have the low earth orbit satellites. So this is good stuff. And don't think anymore in silos. Don't think about you have this service at your home, you have this service on the go. It's all going to become one thing. And for you and me, it's going to mean much better choice and much lower prices. You know, the fight in the courts against T-Mobile and Sprint getting married was really a battle that would have made a lot of sense in 2010. But in the 20s, it makes no sense at all. The great news for you and me is the monopolies have squeezed our wallets, and that's changing. You and I are going to have better prices, better service, better choice, and that's how the free market should work. And that's coming not three years from now. That's coming this year. Brian's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brian. Uh, hi, Clark. I just want to say I've enjoyed your show for years, and I just think that you're a really nice guy. Well, thank you. That's point. very nice of you to say. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Um, my house payment is going up, and it's due to a shortfall in the escrow amount, and I was just wondering if Yuck. it makes any sense at all to pay the lump sum to keep my house payment the same. No. No, because you're basically no. making an interest-free loan to the mortgage company, and I want to go back a step, though. Do you believe their escrow reconciliation is correct? Uh, as close as I can tell, um, it's a little hard to keep track of on their statement, but I will double-check it again. Because the escrow, the escrow is based on what your property tax bill is. Right, and, and insurance. And insurance. Mm-hmm. And so if you yeah. take those two amounts, add them together then you divide them, this gets complicated, you divide by 12, multiply that number by 14, and then divide again by 12 to get what the escrow should be per month. Mm, Okay. Because the lender is allowed to keep um, kind of like a reserve beyond the escrow. And I gave you a not 100% mathematically correct formula, but one that gets you close enough for horseshoes. Yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty close. I know what my insurance and my uh, taxes are. They've gone up somewhat. I do shop the insurance every year. seems like because they always want to go up. But it does make sense not to just give them that money um, interest-free to hold on to. And there are places in the country where people are seeing big run-ups in either or both of those numbers where maybe they're in a neighborhood that is going through a rapid um, gentrification or they're in an area where the cost of homeowners insurance is going way up. I see you live in North Carolina. If you live near the coast in North Carolina, insurers are having a terrible time figuring out how to calculate risk. And so homeowners insurance rates are all over the place Mm -hmm. in coastal uh, North and South Carolina 
because of this difficulty in getting their arms around the actual actuarial risk. So one insurer may charge much, much more for the same homeowner's insurance coverage than another because they're all guessing right now. Sure. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But if the numbers seem right, and let me repeat that one more time for other people because what I say is really goofy, okay? You take the total taxes and insurance, divide it by 12, then multiply it times 14, that number you come up with, and then divide again by 12. And that should be uh, fairly within range of what escrow would be per month because they're allowed to build this buffer. I see. Okay. Right. Well, I hope you enjoy your home you're having to pay more for. Oh, yeah, well, actually, my wife wants to move anyway, and, and, she, and she said I can move with her. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Is she trying to move to a lower cost place or a different place? No, she wants a higher cost. She wants the coast. We're in the mountains. Oh, so she wants to. Okay, so before you move to the coast, you want to know what those um, insurance rates are going to be, and she may not be as excited about living at the coast good point yeah and uh, generators are a really nice thing to have when you live in a coastal area too patty's with us on the clark howard show hi patty hi clark how are you good to speak to you i'm a long time listener so i appreciate what you and your team do absolutely and wonderful to have you here yeah thank you i want to ask you about the secure act that was passed at the end of December, the Retirement Enhancement Act. Um, Maybe you could go over that a little, but specifically the changes for the non-spousal beneficiaries of retirement plans and how the tax treatment would be on that. This has caused more people to tie themselves up in knots. So what Congress did was they were trying to get more tax money out of people's IRAs. And so a lot of people have been um, dying with IRA money still in place that they've then typically named children as the beneficiaries instead of a spouse. Spouse may be, there may not be a spouse, spouse may have passed away, um, whatever the reason. So they pass it to adult children. Well, that money then, the adult children were able to spread over basically their lifetime, take little teeny parts of it each year. And so the feds were getting teensy amounts of tax dollars from people that were spreading those IRAs over what's known as their actuarial life. So they said, no more of this. And now under the new law, after an IRA is inherited, you're subject to having to empty it within a decade. Okay. So that means uh, a Roth is not going to generate tax, but a traditional IRA, every withdrawal that an heir will make, every dollar they take is taxed. I mean, it's, it's found money for the heir, but right. based on whatever their tax rate is, they're going to be paying that in tax every time they pull money out. And it's possible if there's enough money they inherit, it pushes them into a higher tax bracket. 
Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So it's 10 years. Right. Okay. For now. Okay. So, For now. Yeah, because the thing is, that's what's so difficult with planning is that you know, the rules continually change, and so that's it for today, but who knows what it'll be next year or the year after or whatever. Because, you know, you used to have to start making withdrawals at age 70 and a half. Now suddenly it's 72. So you just don't know how things will change. Okay. All right. Thank you for explaining that. Well, you're giving me credit. I hope that was a good explanation because it sure is goofy. You know, the good problem is that you have money that you're worried about how it's going to be taxed someday. Exactly. So that's the good thing. And it goes to the core of something you've heard me talk about, Patty, and that's how incredibly valuable Roth IRAs have become versus traditionals. Because the tax time bomb that a traditional IRA can be is not present when you do a Roth IRA. Right. And I've got both. I, I work for a health care system, so we have a 403B. Um, you poor soul. I hope they're not ripping you off in that 403B. I know. But, you know, I, I have to contribute to get my match. So Yeah, so you're doing the right thing. You always want to contribute to a 403B up to what gets you the max and match. And then after that, do your own thing, typically, again, with your own Roth IRA that you can put up to 6000 a year in. Unless you're over 50, you can do 7000 Normally at this time, you'd hear a Clark Rageous moment. But today, I want to praise a lot of companies that really get it, that what really matters is that you don't tell your employees you value them, but you actually do. And one of the ways you can show that is by sharing the profits with your employees in good times because they were core and key to making it happen, especially in a service business. Delta Airlines paid huge bonuses to their employees because Delta has been making very large profits partially because of the grounding of the MAX from Boeing, which they don't have any of in their fleet. Southwest, on the other hand, which had the world's largest numbers of MAXs either in service or on order or in combination also, Southwest took it on the chin last year financially because the grounding of those planes. But what did Southwest do? They still made a profit, even though it was down. They gave their employees bonuses equal to about six weeks' pay. And do you know the number of businesses that give their employees a share of the profits each year? Somewhere around a third of companies. I don't know why the other two-thirds don't. Because remember, you don't exist as a business if it's not for your employees. And even if your employees don't have ownership, rewarding your employees with a share of what they made happen is key to motivating employees. If an employee knows that all they're doing is lining the pockets of the owners, why does somebody normally have extra pep in their step or go that extra mile for a customer? 
You know, I've always believed that the companies that do best are the companies that take care of their employees first. Because no matter what your goal, no matter what industry you're in, it's ultimately about serving the customer with the products or services, whatever it is you do. And employees that are rewarded as a business becomes more successful become more committed. They act more like owners. And so if you work for one of the one in, uh, uh, the two and three companies that don't reward hard work, well, no, there's one in three companies that actually do reward you for your hard work. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our website's clark.com and clarkdeals.com. And I got a question for you. You know about all the hacks that go on all the time. What are you doing to use passwords that aren't going to be as vulnerable as those lists put out each year of the most popular passwords, which are unbelievable, like the word password is a password. Well, there are lots of things you can do. The one that is steadily growing in popularity is using a password manager. You know, people use Firefox and people use Google Chrome both have access to a password manager, but it's not going to do what the more sophisticated ones do, where they'll generate unique passwords for you at all the places you go to. That'll be usually long phrases that become a computational nightmare for hackers. And we are creatures of habit, and we tend to reuse the same password over and over again. So if we're using a basic password manager like on Firefox, all it's going to do is regurgitate that same thing over and over again that we put in. But if you use the big password managers or a number of smaller ones, you're going to find that you're going to have a layer of protection from what the criminals are going to be up to. And Dashlane is the biggest and longest running one out there. There's another that's been around a long time called LastPass. But now there are a bunch more that are in the market. And Wired just did a review and came up with a best overall password manager that I am not familiar with at all, but I want to share it with you. It's called 1Password, and it's the number one than the word password. And originally, it was just for iOS. Now it works across platforms, and it generates these weirdo unique passwords for you automatically, and it costs for an individual 36 bucks a year for a family membership. It's 60 bucks a year. One of those things cheaper by the dozen. The more family members you have, the less you're going to pay. But if you are cheap and you don't want to pay that, there's one that gets great review on Wired that's free called Bitwarden, B-I-T Warden, W-A-R-D-E-N. 
and it is one that is open source. Different people who are into the whole security thing help design it as a charitable endeavor, and it is available to you. Uh, you may have another one I've not mentioned that's your favorite. It's just really good to use these. At the very least, use the one from Firefox or Chrome from Google if you don't want to use one of these sophisticated tools. Anything that helps put a barrier in place between you and a criminal who's trying to get at your money and your life. Adam is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Adam. Hello, it's an honor to talk to you. Well, great to have you here, Adam. How can I be of service to you? Well, I'm recently engaged, and I'm set to be married in November. Um, I've already contributed the maximum to my Roth this year, and... um, well, aren't you an overachiever? Uh, well, thank you. I've been listening to you for years, so I know what to do. Well, my future wife, um, that's a nice surprise. She she started receiving bonuses at work, and that will make us ineligible to contribute to, to a Roth. But now that I've already contributed, I don't know what I should do. Should I pull it out? or No, what you can do is... Um, it's a little extra work, but you may be able to do what is called generically a backdoor Roth, okay. where you reclassify the money or classify it, whatever, as a non-deductible IRA that has no income limit. Okay. And then you're able virtually immediately to move a non-deductible into a Roth and you avoid the income limit. Okay. It's one of those crazy, silly workarounds. However, right. if you have any money in a traditional IRA, you can't just do it as simply as I just said. Okay. Do you have any money not. in a regular IRA? No, sir. I do not. So this is really easy. Um, go to like Investopedia mm-hmm. and read their briefing on backdoor Roth. Or go to whatever search engine, Google, or whoever you use, and put in the term backdoor Roth, or backdoor IRA, and it'll show you how to do that, where the fact that your soon-to-be wife is making too much money, what a good problem to have. It's a great problem, isn't it? Right. The other thing you... I'm trying to remember, if you do first-year marriage since you're getting married in November you would want to see are you better off doing your taxes married filing separately this year and maybe doing married filing jointly starting in 21. Okay, I didn't think of that. And so that may be an alternative consideration. Okay. I'm trying to remember if a couple where there's combined too much income, if you do file married filing jointly, if you're then able, if you come under the lower married filing separately cap, yeah, you should be able to do the Roth then. Okay. I'm thinking out loud here. Okay. But um, congratulations. This is quite a great year, and it's so wonderful that you so early in the year are such a good saver. You've already put all that money aside. Thank you, sir. I appreciate all your help. Sure, and you should be able to slide right through this with minimal issues, though, 
if you go that extra step I just described with the non-deductible IRA converted then into the Roth IRA. I thought Congress, when they did the SECURE Act, was going to outlaw that, but to my knowledge, they made no change in the backdoor Roth loophole. Mahul is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Great. I hope you're having a wonderful one. Yes, sir. I do. And long-time listener, I love your show. appreciate your taking my call, though. Certainly. I have questions about the auto insurance policy for teens. Ugh. <laughs> don't do I it. Had... Oh, my <laughs> Convince God. your teen they don't want to drive for years. <laughs> do you know... Um, I wish... The per- I wish I could. The percent of 18-year-olds who don't have a driver's license now is huge. I mean, as more and more um, teenagers don't have the same interest in driving that maybe we did growing up. That's and correct. The other factor is the auto insurance thing is out of control for teen drivers. Absolutely. And that's, that's what my question to you is. I just added my son in December. Uh, of 2019 to our policy via insurance agent and my premium almost doubled. How many extra thousands a year? Almost uh, $1,500 a year. Okay, that's actually very cheap compared to what I've been hearing. Okay. Yeah, my daughter daughter added, I think it was 4,000 approximately to our insurance. Yeah, so so originally I was paying is around like fifteen hundred, and now I'm paying around thirty one hundred. Okay, so in the world of teen drivers, you're getting off cheap. Okay, uh, because I'm planning to add my daughter as well sometime in April, and I'm kind of pulling my hair to see. Oh my God, I'm going to have another increase of like another fifteen hundred dollar or so. Uh, I don't know. It'll depend on your insurer if they, if with a second teen driver there's any cut you get or if they okay. add the same level of increase on for the second teen driver. You sure they both really want to drive? This is a terrible thing they both want to drive. <laughs> I cannot hold them up. Clark to test uh, trust me I cannot hold them <laughs> so I have a son who is learning to be an airline pilot is a teenager he's learning okay. to fly and he'll have his flying license probably right about his 16th birthday but he doesn't mm-hmm. really have any interest in driving of course he's going to flying then he don't need to drive <laughs> yeah exactly he says flying he said to me when we were in really bad traffic the other day and people were driving really crazy, he said, Dad, flying is so much easier than driving. I don't know why I'd want to drive. So Absolutely. I'm looking here. Uh, Producer Joel has for us how much you add in different states for a teen driver. And mm-hmm. some of them it's around uh, 3800 extra for a teen driver. And others it's as little as little as the 1600 you talked about but most of them are more than that i mean you know in the thousands so you're actually getting ripped off at a discount okay that's that's a good problem to have right right so (laughs) um, one other thing is that uh, you should talk to your agent 
and see if there are techniques that work. Like if you buy an old beat up car, is a car mm-hmm. that uh, your teens drive, is that cheaper than just adding them as household drivers in your home? Because it depends per state and per insurer if it's cheaper to have a designated vehicle that you only have to buy liability on for a teen to drive, or is it better to add them as a household driver of the vehicles you already have? And so there's no p- automatic pattern to that, and you just got to okay. see what how that does play. Okay. Thanks. Thanks a lot for your advice, Clark. I really do appreciate it. And are you going to do some of the instructing and in how to drive? No, they already have came through the uh, <clears throat> all the training and all the stuff. So now they are almost like the L2 permit here in North Carolina. Okay. So when we take the L2 permit, we have to produce the uh, uh, proof of insurance before they get the L2 permit. Got it. Uh, and, and once after they are 18, they will get the full license. Uh, right now, they, are, they both are on a 17. So I think I have to pass one year. But whenever they go through the full license, I think I have to still continue paying this much amount in auto insurance. That's what people are telling me. No fun at all. Now, my middle child says that I was the worst parent ever in the vehicle when she was learning to drive. My oldest child, though, says I was a good teacher. So it just depends on the dynamic between parent and child. And they, of course, both took uh, driver training. My oldest burst into tears several times at driver training. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Gigi joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Gigi. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm so Wonderful. Thank you. you. What's that? I'm so excited to talk to you. I have to be cool about this because my 12-year-old son will listen to this when it's available in podcast. Oh, that's fun. You have a 12-year-old <laughs> who thinks it's actually interesting to listen to our show? Uh not really, but he knows <laughs> that I'm a huge fan of you, and he knows that I listen to you every day in the car to go to work when I drive back, and every day as I do my work at home, you're in the headset in my ears. Okay. Well, thank you for being such a devoted listener. And I to am. your 12-year-old, the advantage for a 12-year-old who would rather be listening to music or whatever, and they have to suffer listening to me is the time will come that that stuff that a 12-year-old or 10-year-old or 15-year-old absorbs involuntarily, that there will come the point that it's like, oh, yeah, that's how you do that. 
And yeah. that is that is true. That is already happening. That has happened to my 26 and 24 year old daughters who are all listened with me all these years, and they are now professionals, and they are doing what I've been doing as I followed your advice. Well, wonderful. Well, let's hope I give you some good advice today. Oh, I think so. <laughs> I can only rely on you and trust you, Clark. That's why I emailed you, and I was so excited when they book my email, and they're going to put me on the air with you. <laughs> so I called all my family, including those in the Philippines, that I'll be on the air with you. Wow, okay. <laughs> so what, what is it that I can help you with? So my question is, for the first time in... Um, in my life, I'm going to attempt to do my income tax filing through TurboTax. And then the other night, as I was checking my Credit Karma um, scores, I happened to see that Credit Karma tax is available for free. And I'd like that because it's free. So I was wondering, is Credit Karma equal or better or not a good vehicle for income tax filing? Is it better than TurboTax or any other software that's been around? All right, let me say it to you this way. I have not heard anybody complain about the quality of the Credit Karma tax software. So I usually know when people don't like something, when they start griping about it and say, why did I even think about using that instead of fill in the blank tax prep software that I used in the past. So mm -hmm. I would tell you that go ahead and try the Credit Karma tax. Doesn't cost mm -hmm. anything. And if it seems difficult to use or confusing, then you bail out and do what you would have done in the first place using, you said TurboTax? Yes, TurboTax was yeah. my first choice. Mm -hmm. And if everything goes well using the Credit Karma tax, then you're done and you file for free. If, okay. it's, if it's no fun at all, then you wasted however many minutes or hours you were fooling around with Credit Karma tax, and you're like, this is terrible. Why did I ever mm -hmm. bother with this? But if it works well, then you're saving what you would have paid TurboTax for tax prep software. Good advice. Never thought about that. And do Thank you know you what so Credit Karma does with, with your information? Um, yeah, I think they make it available to uh, vendors who can offer us like better credit cards according to our history. Yeah, they use what they know about you to be able to target offers more precisely to you. That's how Credit Karma makes its money. Now, yes. one other thing, for people who make less than uh, basically 70000 a year, you can do tax prep software from any of the major companies for free. And all you do is you go to irs.gov, click on free file, which is right on the front page, and it'll show you all the uh, software that's available to you to file taxes for nothing. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.